to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. It's a show where we talk about books, and with this being the last episode before the holidays of 2022, you may be planning to buy Civil War-related books as gifts for others or yourself. But there are dozens of Civil War books published every month that aren't all that good. Tonight, instead of talking with an author about a book that I think would interest you, I'll be talking about books you probably don't want to read. Join me for some thoughts on what makes a bad Civil War history book, tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University, a quiet and dark campus here in final exam week of fall 2022. But even though I'm here on campus, instead of attending my history department party that's taking place this evening, uh, I am still not speaking for the history department or the university or anybody else. Uh, I'm only speaking for myself. And at this point, uh, if you're a, a veteran listener, you're thinking, and of course, his guest also only speaks for themselves. And the answer is no. Tonight, uh, tonight, no guest. Uh, we had planned to be talking this evening with Gary Gallagher. You've all read something by Gary at some point if you've been reading Civil War history for any length of time. And he has recently edited for the Library of America a marvelous uh, one-volume edition of Bruce Catton's Army of the Potomac Trilogy. And uh, we had planned to talk about that. But Gary is very popular. He had a schedule conflict come up. Uh, He cannot speak to two groups at the same time, not us and them. And uh, they won out. So uh, unfortunately, we we had to reschedule. Uh, He'll be back with us on February 15th. 
of 2023, so we will indeed get to hear about uh, the Bruce Catton trilogy, which I'm very much uh, interested in chatting with him about. Uh, Rather than cancel tonight's show, as sometimes happens when there's a a schedule conflict, since it's the last show of the season, the last show of the semester of fall 2022, didn't want to leave you hanging with a recording, perhaps wondering what's gone up, has he gone the way of, uh, the way Twitter seems to be going, the way that, that, uh, that crypto guy is going is is civil war talk radio being exposed as a den of fraudulence and iniquity no we are still here and uh didn't want to leave you there so uh so it's just me tonight with you talking uh I know from email that uh, some listeners don't especially care for the first 10 minutes of the show. Uh, They will use the fast forward or the times two or times three uh, button, whatever it is you have, to to skip over this part of the show. That's what the button's there for. You're welcome to use it, and I urge you to do so. Uh, But tonight, the whole show is just me talking. Uh, It will not be 50 whole minutes talking just about East Carolina University and what's happening here in the classrooms or at the football stadium uh, or talking about the University of Michigan Wolverines when they're doing well, which they are now, uh, or even 50 minutes talking about the Greenville Stars, who uh, many years ago were featured in this part of the show. This was the foremost international conduit for news about the Greenville Stars U-12 girls soccer team at one time. Uh, We will, in fact, talk about the Civil War this evening, specifically about the kinds of books that don't get discussed on Civil War talk radio, about the authors who aren't here. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about how, when looking at the vast array of books published every month, I try to separate the sheep from the goats, uh, both in selecting books to talk about on the show and in my own uh, personal reading. Uh, which I, I hope you will find useful. And uh, this will not be all negative, all bad books. I'll try to say something about what, for me, makes a book great. Uh, so even though we will not have a guest, we will be talking Civil War most of the hour. Uh, but first, Chi-Chi, as, as the old joke goes, uh, let's talk about things that don't relate to the Civil War. The World Cup, for example, proceeds today. The last semifinal was played. I will admit I've been hoping for a Croatia-Morocco final so I could come on this show and say, oh, final this weekend, looking forward to the big England-Brazil match. I haven't been watching. I assume it's one of the big teams. No, it turns out it was not two surprise teams. It's two big teams, Argentina and France. Uh, should be good. And when that's over, we can return to real football. Uh, on December 27th, East Carolina will be traveling to Birmingham, Alabama, to play in the imaginatively titled Birmingham Bowl. Uh, I'm not going with them. I'm staying here in Greenville, but I'll be watching it on TV. It should be interesting and always good to have a bowl opportunity. The uh, team of my my lifelong loyalty, my alma mater, University of Michigan, is getting ready for playoffs, and I have been binging uh, the last couple weeks on highlight films uh, I've exhausted all the highlight films of the past season, the 13-0 and 0, uh, season thus far. Recently, I, st- I watched some uh, some film from the last time Michigan won the national title, 1997. And I'll tell you, it's weird to watch highlights from the, the pre-targeting era when 
you see players getting hit in the head in ways we now know are not good for them and the announcers are like oh big hit uh, it, it, it's kind of uh, uncomfortable to watch sometimes and being a historian recently I came across uh, the uh, uh, not just highlights but an entire replay of the Little Brown Jug game Michigan against Minnesota from 1947 on YouTube and uh, it's silent, it's black and white, uh, but they've got the whole 47 season, apparently, when Tom Harmon was winning a Heisman Trophy. Uh, it's fascinating to, to see how the game was played and and really weird to think about how close that was to the Civil War compared to uh, where we are today. Let's do the math real quick. So it's about 80 years that... Uh, yeah, those games are as close to the Civil War as they are to us, and uh, uh, and and they uh, the football is very recognizable. They some things look you know old-fashioned, no face guards on the helmets, but uh, uh, some some of the things they do are, are highly recognizable. And indeed, I would like to see Michigan pull some of those out, or ECU for that matter. Uh, why not run the single wing? in this year's playoffs season and to see what happens. So, um, enough about that. Uh, on campus here, it's final exams. We're just about done. Uh, people this week have been talking about the new chatbot that can write essays as well as a human and how that's going to really upset higher education, and I think it will. Uh, but I'm still giving old-fashioned blue book exams in class. The students have to write them. And uh, one of the things in, in discussing this with colleagues that came out is how students are no longer being taught cursive, uh, nor are they being taught how to use an abacus. And it's just a good thing because now when they write in their blue books, they tend to print instead of write. And as a result, blue books have become much more legible in the last several years. Uh, you you still get the occasional cursive scrawl that's just, just really hard to read, but most of the students will print, and they, they can print fast, and by golly, I can read them. Uh, it's only when actually going back to Civil War letters and journals that we have to deal with cursive. One day that will be a skill that only historians will have, and uh, uh, boomer though I am, I'm, I'm happy to see that go by the wayside. So let's talk about, well, let's talk about the one more thing. Uh, who's going to be on the show next? Since this is the last season, last show of the season, uh, we will be wrapping up. We'll take a break over the holidays through December and into January. But we'll be back with a live guest on the air on January 11th, 2023. It'll be James Sides. Uh, he has been on the show before. He has a new book called Letters to Lizzie which is about, uh, well, the subtitle, uh, The Story of 16 Men in the Civil War and the One Woman Who Connected Them All. Uh, it's letters from one woman and her 16 pen pals. Uh, I'm curious, is to put it mildly, uh, how I feel about this book. It, uh, Jim assures me it's interesting, and I, I don't doubt it. Uh, on the 18th of January, uh, a new visitor to the show, Stephen Cowie, has written uh, When Hell Came to Sharpsburg, The Battle of Antietam, and its impact on the civilians who called it home. 
that's a topic that, of course, doesn't get enough attention. And we've been reading more and more about Gettysburg and the civilians, and now we're going to get the story of Antietam. On the 25th, uh, our old friend Hampton Newsom comes back. He has uh, a title that I'm holding a copy. It's still shrink-wrapped, haven't even opened it yet. Gettysburg's Southern Front, Opportunity and Failure at Richmond. When the armies are up at Pennsylvania, of course, who's guarding the door in Richmond? And uh, I've always sort of wondered about that. Uh, He's going to tell us there was actually something going on there. So we'll pick up on that. And then on uh, February 1st, a book uh, so new I don't have a copy of it here yet, do I? Uh, but it's about the 15th Corps, and it has. there's a buzz around it. People are talking about this. Eric Michael Burke has written the book, uh, and it looks at the Army, uh, this unit, in a unique way. Uh, so we'll share that together. And then I mentioned, of course, on the 15th, Gary Gallagher will be here. Uh, to talk about Bruce Canton. So a lot's coming up. Those are all good books, but not all books are good. Um, I don't invite authors of bad books to this show, at least not intentionally. Uh, My thought is uh, uh, your time is too valuable to waste, as is mine, with books that aren't uh, aren't any good. And this show has never been about... uh, uh, you know, conflict and, and berating authors and criticizing them for their bad work that that just wouldn't be very uh, wouldn't be very civil very polite so we don't do that here uh, so how do how, how do I know whose whose book is worth uh, talking about the beginning of the winnowing process starts with the categories uh, the book has to be civil war related obviously and you would be surprised how many uh, publicists will send me uh, information about books that are tangential to the Civil War or even not connected at all. Somehow I got on Osprey Publishing's list. Uh, if, if you're a military history hobbyist in any format, you're familiar with Osprey Publishing. They do uh, they do some serious history work, but they also do these you know thin volumes about military units or military hardware, modelers like them, wargamers like them. Uh, And somehow their publicist is now sending me a list every month of here are the latest publications, tell me what you want a free copy of. And sort of like kid in the candy store, really. Uh, But I realize they expect me then to review these or, or have the authors on. And uh, they're not relevant to the Civil War at all. So I've, I've disciplined myself not to reply, I'll take a copy of that and a copy of that, uh, because that's, that's cheating. That's not, not what they're there for. So only Civil War books, we start with that. Um, and then we go to nonfiction. Every month I will get at least one inquiry from a novelist, a, non, a fiction writer, or their publicist, who insists that this book is authentic. It's based on lots of real research, tons of real research. Uh, therefore, uh, they should be on the show. And I don't argue with that. It, it's, the much historical fiction is very uh, grounded in research. Uh, the classic example, and, and I'm guessing 98% of you have read uh, The Killer Angels by Michael Shara. Uh, of course, it, it's well-researched. But that's not the problem. Indeed, the problem for me is when a book is that well-researched, it becomes really hard to distinguish between what the author's telling us because they've 
learned about it from the sources and what they're making up because they are writing a, a fictional story, a novel. And if a book, a bad historical fiction book, it's pretty easy to tell when they're just making stuff up uh, and hard and, and you don't want a bad book. With a good book, it's really hard to tell, and that just means, as I'm reading it, I'm wondering, am I learning something or am I fooling myself? Am I just learning what this author says? And I, I don't have time for that, uh, to try to figure out the difference. I, there, there's so much to learn about the Civil War that to spend time winnowing imagination from uh, from researched information is, is, is just something I don't care to do. I don't have any beef with people that want to write not write fiction uh, historical fiction it's often entertaining but we just don't do it here so those are some basic distinctions we have to start with um, it's got to be about the war uh, or close to it at least war adjacent and it's got to be uh, non-fiction another distinction that I will make when looking at books um, is between academic or professional history and popular history. Now, this is not a this is not a disqualifying distinction. This is simply a distinction to help understand what we're dealing with. Uh, not all popular history is bad or good, and same for not all academic history. So. We'll come back after the break and talk about what, how you can tell at first glance if a book is academic history written by a professionally trained historian or if it's popular history written by somebody else. We'll do that when we come back in just a minute. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice of America Variety Channel. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? We don't think so. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Ed Cheney. Ed and his guests will explain full-spectrum CBD using the whole hemp plant for good health and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. 
That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you tonight as usual from the Brewster Building on campus of East Carolina University. Tonight's episode of Civil War Talk Radio is brought to you by Civil War Talk Radio, the original Civil War podcast. Go to www.impedimentsofwar.org, the Civil War Talk Radio companion website, and buy all the t-shirts you can afford. Click on the merchandise link and support the podcast in that fashion. Or if you, like me, agree that people our age should not wear t-shirts in public, I'm wearing my Civil War Talk Radio t-shirt right now, but of course you can't see me, um, then then uh, instead buy t-shirts for your loved ones and donate directly to the show. Click the PayPal button there and that will allow you to contribute to Civil War Talk Radio, but it is not a tax-deductible contribution. Don't make that mistake. Uh, Don't end up uh, in legal trouble like so many famous people are today. Uh, The the website uh, also will tell you who's going to be on the show next. We went over that in the previous section. Mark Gaffney keeps that up to date, tells us what's happening. Uh, so uh, be sure and check out impedimentsofwar.org. So in our first segment, I was talking about what books don't make it on the show, and specifically uh, uh, getting to the distinction between popular and academic history, which is a long-running theme, something that's interested me for many years. How is it that some books have these little numbers at the end of sentences and paragraphs and other books don't? How is it that some books are written by people who do nothing but write and teach history, and some books are written by people who seem to have other jobs, like you can just write a book in your spare time. Is it that easy? Uh, Well, of course, it's not that easy, and people who write books while holding other full-time jobs uh, will tell you it's not easy. They, They spend a lot of time at it. The distinction, uh, as, as I said again at the end of the last section, is not one between good and bad books. Please uh, uh, don't don't think that uh, for a moment. But it is a distinction, and it's one that I, I never learned about in high school, and not really even in college. Uh, I had to go to graduate school. Um, that would be Harvard, by the way, for those keeping score. Uh to find out exactly what this distinction is. Uh, and if you're wondering about the book you're considering buying, that you're holding in your hand at the shelves of Barnes & Noble or wherever you get your books, the first clue is who published it. Uh, you will find, uh, and then if you already know all this, skip ahead to the next part of the, our, our talk. Uh, you'll find books published by University Presses, University Press of Kansas, uh, LSU Press, University of North Carolina Press. Uh, And these presses exist not to make money, but to expand knowledge. And they will not publish a book because they think it will make them money, although they like when that happens. They publish a book because they think it has something important and new to say. And to find out whether it does, they will submit the manuscript. When you submit it to the publisher, they will submit it to experts in the field who will read it and then 
uh, peer review it, to come back with their judgment. Is this book worth printing? Will this tell us something new? So if you're getting a university press book, the odds are very, very high that the author is a professionally trained historian, is likely working as a history professor somewhere, may well have written the book you're about to read originally as a doctoral dissertation to earn a PhD, or maybe it's a second or third book that they're writing in order to get promoted and receive tenure at their jobs. That's both good and bad. On the one hand, you know it's peer-reviewed. On the other hand, uh, the audience they're aiming at may not, it's not necessarily uh, those of us reading just for entertainment, but uh, uh, is, is geared toward impressing people in the field. The If the book is not university press, then if you're standing again in a bookstore, it's probably a trade press, probably a commercial press, random house, Uh, type outfit. They publish books, of course, to make money. Sometimes you will get professors writing for trade presses. Alex Rose was on the show not too long ago uh, with his uh, book about uh, American diplomats uh, trying to foil the Confederates' plan to build a navy in England during the Civil War. And although he professionally trained as a historian has chosen to write his books and publish them with commercial presses Uh, that has the benefit of you'll get probably a lot more readers uh, probably make more money the the contracts for academic press books are are shockingly uh, non-remunerative for in most cases and so you, you reach four readers, uh, but you don't get the benefit of peer review unless you, as Alex said, he did send the manuscript to people you know in the field and ask them to honestly give give uh, feedback, which often they will do. So you've got two kinds of, of publications, um, publishers, each doing different kinds of uh, books. And then you've got a third kind, self-published, which doesn't, again, necessarily mean it's worse than the other two, but it does mean that no one's edited it other than the author himself or herself. And you'll get ex- exceptions to the rule. Uh, Brad Gottfried was on the show not long ago. He's published with academic presses, but recently decided to go uh, with self-publishing for uh, reasons uh, of being able of flexibility, being able to uh, change the copy in, in every new new printing if you want to. Uh, on the whole, though, people who go the self-publishing route uh, do it because they're either not going to pass any peer review or they're not writing a book popular enough that a commercial press thinks it'll make them money. So you you, you want to look at that I would say with a grain of salt. It doesn't mean it's going to be a bad book, but but you have to think about it. Uh, as a professor, I will I participate in this process when publishers send me manuscripts to review and uh, and to advise them whether the book should be published or not. And that's that's part of what we do, part of our service to the field. You don't get paid for doing that. Uh, you get a copy of the book, like I need another copy of another book in this room. Uh, but it is an important service, and uh, generally the, the presses will listen. I have reviewed manuscripts for a 
certain university press that I will not name, uh, where I thought the, the book was completely not suitable for a, an academic press. And they went ahead and published it anyway. I thought, well, that's how it goes. But I've had other experiences where I've, I've been critical of the manuscript, heavily critical, and the author went back and revised the heck out of it and got published, and it was uh, it was an excellent book. And again, I'm trying to be polite here, not, not name individuals' names about these books. Um, and then on the other hand, I... I I can't necessarily remember which who the authors were of some of these experiences. Um, I had a book that was uh, a Lincoln or Civil War era cookbook uh, that was sent to me by a university press, and it was just completely inappropriate for a university press. It really did not provide any new information or new interpretation that would change the field in any way. Uh, and I recommended against publishing it, but recommended the author take it to a different kind of press, and the author did, and it got published, and it's successful, and it's reaching its audience. So, again, university press or academic history versus popular history isn't bad versus good or good versus bad. It's just a matter of reaching the right audience. But let's get down to it. What about actual bad books? There are some books that really are not very good. Um, let me pull one off the shelf here. Uh, this is not a book we've talked about on the show. I've not invited the author. There go half my books to the floor, and I wouldn't plan to. Um, this is a book I've actually torn apart in a review on HNet, so you can Google and maybe find it that way. But uh, And I'm not going to name the author, or the book for that matter, uh, but... Uh, because if I had a lawyer, uh, they'd probably advise me not to do that. But it's a book that when you look at the cover, you see it's a book that has to do with uh, the 1864 uh, military and political campaigns, and it's got a picture of what I think is the Battle of Chickamauga on the cover, which is not fought in 1864. Uh it, whatever it's on the cover, it's certainly not an 1864 battle. And so the first thing you think is, um, uh, okay, that's that's a problem. But the author doesn't choose their own cover, typically. The, the book designer does, so you can forgive that. Uh, start reading, looking at the book and see, okay, who's the author? And it's somebody who's never written a book about the Civil War, but they've written about other topics. That's a clue. You've got pop history, not academic history, because a professional academic historian has a research agenda. They will write on the same thing and develop over the course of their career increasingly uh, expert knowledge of what they're talking about. A person who writes a book on this topic and then spends a year on that topic and then another year on a different topic, uh, dilettante would be one word for, for that. Uh, it's not necessarily bad pop history. Uh, some of the most famous historians, people that uh, the public know as historians, are not trained in history, and they write about widely different topics. But they're good writers, and uh, and people are entertained by their work. So the fact that this author has never written about the Civil War before, I can live with that. Um, the, the, the tell, the red flag, finally comes when you look in the bibliography 
Uh, actually, you don't find a bibliography. Uh, when you look at the, the reference notes, and there are some of them, and the sources are, are all obsolete. They're all 30 or 40 years old. They're all secondary sources at, at that, uh, except for the use of newspapers, not cited for what they are telling you what the public knows, but as if newspaper articles were actually uh, reliable sources of information of events that had just happened when the article was written. Uh, they aren't now, and they weren't then. It's overall just not a good book, and yet it not only got published uh, by a, a minor league publisher, but as happens, once you've got one book out, uh, whoever this fellow is must have gotten an agent, and the next thing you know, I'm looking at a Penguin website, and there's their next book, uh, Civil War-related, I think, uh, on on splashed at me in an ad on, on Penguin's website. So now they've moved up to a legitimate, recognizable publisher uh, without actually demonstrating they know a dang thing about the Civil War beyond what you and I know from reading uh, uh, just a couple books. So if, if the author isn't writing about the Civil War uh, regularly, it doesn't necessarily mean the book will be bad. Uh, I'll name a name here. There's H.W. Brands has written on every topic under the sun, and he wrote a book that related to Abraham Lincoln and came on the show. We chatted about that, and he was very open that this is popular history. He, no, it's not a book that's going to enlighten experts in the field, but that's not who it's aimed at. Uh, and he was very clear about that, and that that's a mark of good popular history when the person knows I'm not advancing the field I'm broadening the field I'm bringing new readers in which is a valuable and important service to perform on the other hand a few years ago I had a guest on the show uh, who had written a book again who was not a Civil War historian by trade um, uh, a, a journalist uh, had, had written some other books and decided to write a, a Civil War book. It wasn't a terrible book uh, in terms of what it said, but the author was under the illusion that it was in company with the kind of books uh, we would typically talk about on this show in terms of, of... Well, that's not fair. We talk about plenty of pop history books on this show. Uh that, that this was an that this was breaking new ground as an academic historian would, um, and and that really was that that lack of self awareness I found discomforting, uh, and made me less sympathetic toward the book. Uh, you know, when I finished reading it, I thought, okay, I know a little bit more about uh, coincidentally the same topic, uh, uh, the, the 1864-1865, as the previous not-so-good book. But it was uh, um, if, if the author had simply said, you know, this is, I write interesting books about interesting topics that I find interesting, and I hope the audience does too, that's great. But when you imagine, well, I'm on a par with someone who's spent 10, 15 years in the field doing nothing but this, and I've been doing it for a year or two, and I've got as much to say as they do, but typically they don't. Uh, still, 
a book like that is not necessarily a bad book. Just uh, if you want to really get into the bad books, I do have a shelf in my office, the lower left-hand corner, the the shelf of shame, where where I put books that I don't want to give to use uh, to to library donations because. The more people read them, the the less well-informed we will be as a nation. Uh, so I feel it's my obligation as an educator to keep these books in here, uh, quarantined, as it were. But I don't throw them away. That just you know, disposing of books just feels bad. Uh, and occasionally I can use them with graduate students to uh, show them if they you know, have the appropriate hazmat gear, we can approach these books and talk about them. Um, in some cases, they are, uh, and, and you see a fair amount of this in the Civil War world, uh, just uh, uh, polemical, ideological uh, ranting. And uh, our field, Civil War, does attract a, a fair amount of that. Um, there's a book... Uh, a book on a noted Confederate general with the subtitle "The Black Man's Friend," and it's a defense of how uh, this particular general was apparently uh, the, the friend of, of black men, some of whom he owned as as human property, uh, but he was their friend because he was kind to them. Uh, it's like when someone in conversation says, "Well, you know, I'm not a racist. I got black friends." Uh, well. You know, the conversation need not go further at that point. Uh, you, they've just tipped their hand. Uh, what's another example? Uh, here's one. Uh, well, I'll tell you the title of this. If you want to go look it up, you're welcome to. Um, it wasn't about slavery. And then there's a subtitle. Uh, well, of course, it was about slavery. Uh, so... That's not a book we're going to talk about on the show. Uh, there are debates and there are debates. Um, if somebody wants to come on the show with a, uh, a book that has a thesis I don't agree with, uh, they're welcome to do it. Uh, I, I've talked to people like that. Mark Egnell comes to mind. But if the thesis is just nutty, uh, you and I both have better things to do. We'll talk more about this after a short break. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today. Today's hot topics. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Tonight we are talking about the books that you don't hear about on Civil War Talk Radio. Uh, No guest with us in the uh, virtual room because don't want to invite someone here to be a human punching bag and talk about how bad their book is. That would not be hospitable. But there are plenty of books that, for one reason or another, don't really justify uh, your time or mine. Uh, I mentioned at the end of the last segment uh, the the polemical stream in historical writing. It doesn't have to be about the Civil War. I'm I'm not a fan of that, uh, regardless of the topic or the direction. Uh, I was never a big Howard Zinn fan, for example. Uh, One can have a viewpoint... But when it is, is uh, you know, overly stressed, then, then the book simply becomes tedious. And uh, then with, with the Civil War books we're talking about here, uh, especially with Lost Cause type books, uh, clearly no reason to read those, uh, other than curiosity perhaps. But, uh, but we're not going to have a, a discussion of... of the merits of that topic uh, here on the show. The there are other books though. The uh, uh, book crossed uh, the desk here recently about uh, Quantrill's raid. That was it was not a uh, not not polemical in the sense of political. Uh, it was simply an author who had a point to prove about a historical controversy, and they were going to prove that point, and every chapter was going to prove that point and uh, argue that point. Not not even sure it was that interesting a point to begin with, but there are that's the kind of polemical writing that uh, uh, that one doesn't need to uh, to engage with necessarily. There's also books that I, I've turned down from this show because the writing itself was simply not that good. Uh, and they, these could be both academic or pop history books. Uh, there was an author who had co-written a book some years ago about the, the great typhoon of 1944. And uh, off topic for Civil War Talk Radio, but... Uh, I'd read a book about that typhoon and found it fascinating, uh, the heroism of the American Navy encountering this typhoon in the Pacific during World War II. And so when I saw there was another book on it, I started reading it, and and I couldn't finish the first chapter uh, because it was one of these books that, again, confused fiction and history in a way that left me wondering, am I learning anything or am I just being... Uh, told a story when, when when an author tells you a character said something with a twinkle in his eye I want to see a footnote you know did somebody observe the twinkle or are you just making that up 
do you because if it's the latter not uh, not something I want to do uh, to deal with so anyway the uh, uh, the, the, the typhoon author that whose book I couldn't finish uh, wrote a Civil War book not too long ago and I didn't recognize the name but I started reading the book the publicist had sent me a copy and I'm reading it and here's I don't know if it was exactly another twinkle in the eye but it was something along the same lines and I thought that is not I'm, I'm not buying that and then I looked up the author and saw oh I couldn't finish their typhoon book and I'm not finishing this one either uh, so the writing has to be honest if you're going to, to write history uh, document what you have to say uh, that alone though doesn't save save the day for every book uh, among academic historians there's plenty of work that that we haven't talked about on the show that we will not talk about um, some, some of it, you just as you're reading it, you think this book was clearly written as a dissertation. It's formulaic. They are beating the dead horse of their thesis in every chapter, which I know I did in my dissertation. It's what one does. Um, but they didn't edit it out clearly enough in the book version, so uh, we don't have to talk about that. I'm not going to inflict that on you, uh, the listener. Uh you get books that are formulaic. The author collects anecdote, anecdote, anecdote. There's my point. Make another point. Cite anecdote, anecdote, anecdote. Next point. Uh, one of the best-known names in Civil War history produces a book on military-related uh, topics, campaigns, or tactics, or weapons, seemingly every six months. Uh, and a... a in many ways a wonderful writer has won many high awards but the but the formula is always there and and after a while it's 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 just uh i'm not sure it's convincing you also uh, because these academic books are written to to become uh, are, are written out of what were originally dissertations to get your dissertation topic approved, it has to be something hasn't been written about before. You can't duplicate someone else's work. And that, of course, means that in every field, people are dividing the pie into thinner and thinner slices, writing more and more about less and less, until you know the ideal dissertation will be everything about nothing at all. Uh, you do get this example of, uh, of people writing, of dividing the Civil War pie into to slivers that, that are not satisfying. There was a book some years ago, uh, which we did talk about on the show, dealing with a, a phase in the Shenandoah Valley campaign, 1864, that I think the whole book was about a three or four day span in which nothing much happened. Uh, I, I, I wasn't sure then, and still not sure what quite the point was of that. It doesn't mean the pie can't be d- divided finely. There are other examples. Um, uh, you know, Richmond Redeemed, uh, Richard Summers' book about a, a fraction of the Petersburg campaign is, is a brilliant book. Uh, there are plenty of great books that look at just a tiny slice of something. But at some point, uh, really the detail gets, gets too narrow. <clears throat> and yet... I'd, that alone, again, is not not a disqualifying fact. 
a few years ago, uh, probably many years ago now, an author sent me their book on Civil War identification badges, <clears throat> the equivalent of GI dog tags, which I'd not heard anything about and thought could not possibly be a subject for a full-length book that would be of the slightest interest other than to the obsessive collector. And I was pleasantly surprised to be wrong. Uh, you'll, you'll have to go uh, pawing through the uh, Impediments of War website uh, index to find out uh, when that show took place. I'm not remembering it right now. Uh, it, was, it was a good number of years ago. But it reminded me that even the most seemingly obscure topic uh, can, in fact, tell you something very interesting about the war. So, so it's not just the topic. On the other hand, uh, the book about Civil War beards, if you've listened a long time to the show, that one has gone down in history for its epic qualities. I'll say no more about it. You'll just have to listen to it. Um, other things that can make a book not acceptable uh, being just plain boring is certainly one um, and, and that will occasionally happen but uh, but for, rarely I will say on this show do I get to the end of a book and say oh thank god that's over uh, one other thing that, that disqualifies a book and it's hard to detect this in advance but I'll, I'll raise it here, is plagiarism. Uh, it does happen that people will use other people's work. Uh, it's happened in the Civil War field. It's happened in the Abraham Lincoln writing field. There have been some famous cases about it. Uh, uh, if you've followed the field for any length of time, you're familiar with some of these, uh, some of these cases. I, uh, when I was first working in the field, after finishing my dissertation uh, was asked to would I lend a copy of it to a, uh, a scholar who was working on a book on a related topic and I was happy to do so I was less happy when that scholar's book came out and I recognized chunks of my own writing in in the book that had been taken out of my dissertation uh, so plagiarism does happen and it's it's not it's not pretty when it does uh, but that's not really a practical piece of advice to give you uh, because it's hard to find it, hard to identify it. Uh, but when it comes out, it, it, uh, it disqualifies the book, certainly, from being on this show or hopefully being on anybody's shelf. Well, in just the last few minutes, to cleanse the palate, what about uh, good books? There are so many good books that come out every year. One way to find a few of them is through Civil War Monitor magazine, the unpaying sponsor of this section. Uh, but I'm sure Terry Johnson would be glad to know we're talking about his work here. Uh, Civil War Monitor magazine runs uh, an article every year, Best Books of the Year, which they uh, produce in, in the winter issue, which means those of us who write it have to do it in September before all the books are out. So if you're writing a Civil War book, don't get it published in the last quarter of the year or it won't be considered for the best uh, books article. But that's something uh, that I look forward to every year. Uh, I've participated as, along with other scholars in uh, giving my thoughts on what I think the best books of the past year were. 
or, or the, the best one or two. And it's always very gratifying to see when other people agree. Uh, it's not just idiosyncratic. There is often consensus among writers to this article, uh, and we never talk to each other in advance about it, uh, that, that what makes a book uh, really good. I thought uh, uh, Elizabeth Leonard's biography of Benjamin Butler was, was the best book of last year uh, for a number of reasons, for the, uh, the way it did certainly the way it broke new ground and, and made us all learn something new about a character we thought we knew well. Uh, and she's been on the show to talk about that. The year before was uh, Carrie Janey's book on the war after Appomattox, Ends of War was the title, which also won the Lincoln Prize. I, I was not the only person who thought it was the best book of the year. Uh, so these articles, I, I guess I cite them as evidence that it's not just uh, random thought uh, that, that, that two or three different people who have had no conversation about the topic will agree independently on, on what book they thought was the best one of the year, suggesting that there are actual standards left in the field, that there are things that we all look for and measure and try to find. And hopefully those are the kind of books uh, that we'll talk about here in Civil War Talk Radio. Uh, certainly most of the books that appear in that article each year are books that have been on the show or are going to be on the show. And that will continue uh, as it did in, in 2022. Uh, this is our, our last show for the year. We will certainly continue that process in 2023. Uh, bringing you what, what I hope are the best books of the year, uh, not the worst. But if this has been any help in, in avoiding some of those, then, uh, then I've done my job tonight. So we will be back, uh, let me say, on behalf of everyone who helps make the show possible, Aaron, our engineer tonight, uh, Rachel, who's been the engineer all season uh, on vacation tonight, Mark Gaffney, our webmaster at Impediments of War and Facebook. Uh, from all of them, uh, and from me, wishing you happy holiday season, and thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thank you.